I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. That doubles a baby's chances at life. And by six weeks, the eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb. And for just $28, you could be the difference between life or death of a child. All gifts are tax deductible, and I want you to donate. All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million dollars. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Are you being influenced? If you've watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As our country continues to roil from all the turmoil, we are joined today by people who can explain everything from the basic questions, the U.S. Constitution, all the way up to the policies that are being crafted right this very minute. And because they don't invite me to their lunch where they actually talk about these things, we'll bring them here into the podcast studio and get into all of it. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles, not just joined by our usual senator, but by a second senator as well, Senator Mike Lee. Gentlemen, I am not going to tell you how deeply offended I am that I was not invited to your Senate lunch. But because we're all here together, perhaps you can fill me in on what's been happening. 
First of all, we'd love to have you at our lunch. Just oh, get elected you. to the Senate. We'll welcome you with open arms. Just that small issue first. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, You'd fit in well. And you're, you're a Californian. I'm sure Diane Feinstein is look, <laughs> looking over her shoulder <laughs> and sees you approaching rapidly. I appreciate the, the support, Senator, and I'm, I'm sure it's just a, just a matter of a few days. Californians have been looking and searching for, <laughs> for years a for a constitutional conservative. You fit the bill. So I understand this was a, a pretty rowdy, interesting lunch. Take us behind the scenes. What happened? We talked about a number of things, uh, including the need to allow each senator to introduce amendments and have those amendments voted on. Okay. Uh, You know, when we bring up a piece of legislation, it's never supposed to be the case that you bring a piece of legislation to the Senate floor and then that is the beginning and the end. That then would represent a simple binary choice, Uh, all in or all out, all good or all bad. Uh, the, The way the Senate was formed is such that every member is supposed to have access to unlimited debate and unlimited opportunities to introduce amendments. And um, it hasn't been working like that lately. Mm. There are a lot of reasons for that, uh, uh, modern historical reasons. But the fact is there's now a widespread developing bipartisan concern that we're effectively nullifying the votes of most Americans who elected their senators. Right. Right. Look, Washington's broken. We know Washington's broken. One of the ways it's broken is the Senate doesn't operate. So we had at lunch today, whenever the Senate's in session, all the Republican senators have lunch together. So Mm -hmm. we have lunch together on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, all together. And these can be pretty raucous gatherings. I mean, we get some some vigorous, sometimes angry arguments. Mm. Today, we had a big debate over amendments, the, the basic right. As Mike said, the most fundamental, as a senator, historically, for two centuries. Yep. You've had two powers, unlimited debate. You can talk as long as you want and uh, and unlimited amendment. You can offer any amendment you want. OK, the second one has been obliterated hmm. as a practical matter. Harry Reid, the Democratic leader, eliminated amendments. And then Mitch McConnell, the Republican leader, eliminated amendments. And, and what we have now instead is basically the leaders draft the bills in their office and they drop them fully complete on everyone. Everyone has to vote yes or no or shut everything down. And, and, and it's, it's wholly corrupt. Uh, and so at lunch today, both Mike and I argued vigorously. Look, what, I, what we said to the other senators is right now we have two senators and 98 people who stand around and waiting to see what those two senators are going to do. And that's messed up. And, and I think we ought to go back to unlimited amendments. That's how the Senate used to operate. You right. could literally like pull out a piece of paper and write an amendment, hand it in. And the argument they give against it is they say, well, someone may have to vote on a difficult amendment. Oh, my goodness, how terrifying. <laughs> not, a, not a senator. And, and, and so they, they, they raise it as, well, the Democrats will put some, you know, maybe the Democrats will put funding of the National Department of Kitten Rescue. <laughs> right. And if you right. vote no, apparently you want kittens to die. You hate kittens, yeah. Well, guys, you know, man up. Yeah. You put on your big boy pants and decide how you want to vote. It's not the end of the world if you decide... I can't stand the little furry critters. Yeah. <laughs> then defend <laughs> that to your constituents. And if you decide I love me some kittens, okay, fine. Defend that to the, your constituents. But that's part of what's so hard about this is that it puts yeah. you in a, in a terrible position. If you don't get to amend it, then you have to take it or leave it in its entirety. It's right. a simple binary choice. I love this bill, love everything about it, or I hate this bill, hate everything about it. That's not right. That's not how the Senate was created. And what we've been doing is not only contrary to the Senate rules and history and tradition, it's also contrary to common sense. By, by the way, for the record and the fact check clarifiers, 
I, I love kittens. Just, you you, just you are not going to vote. Okay, well, it's good. I, to, I'm yesterday glad. I texted my daughter Caroline <laughs> a cute little picture of a kitten just, just because. I am relieved to hear that. You know, th- this is a very interesting point because I think when people think about what the Senate does, people always think about the issues. Okay, it's this issue and you're for it or you're against it. But what you're talking about is a matter of process. And the process here is in many ways just as important, maybe more important than the issues themselves, because the Senate is supposed to be the greatest deliberative body in the world, and yet there's very little deliberating going on. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Uh, the process precedes and is antecedent to the policy. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to get to good policy. It's also very difficult to get to accountable government uh, in, in a constitutional republic like ours, unless you have individual members once they are elected being able to make an informed decision about legislation and being able to improve it as they see errors. So, and you know, the word Mike just used there, accountability. Hmm. It matters a lot. Where do you want a bill drafted? Do you want it in a smoke-filled room hidden in Washington where the lobbyists make every corrupt deal on earth? Right. Or do you want it in the open? Do you want it in the floor of the Senate where if you've got a provision you support, stand up, defend it, and actually face argument on the other side? Right. That, 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 that having an open amendment process is how you actually have accountability where the people can see what are the decisions being made by our elected officials. This is one thing you've really shown me, and I think you've shown to the audience on this show, is just how much the personal relationships here matter. You know, Senator so-and-so makes this speech and you heard something on the floor and then you responded in a certain way or maybe over lunch you had these arguments. So I have to ask you something that I typically only ask when I'm on a double date. You know, I'm speaking to a married couple. How'd you meet? How'd you meet? (laughs) You know, I I felt like I had known Ted Cruz for a long time before I ever actually met him. Well, we had a number of common acquaintances. We both clerked at the Supreme Court, not at the same time. In fact, I saw Ted Cruz argue in the Supreme Court uh, several times long before I had ever met, uh, met him. Well, wow. uh, He's uh, very good at it, by the way. Yeah. Uh, shortly after I got elected to the Senate in 2010, we were both in town uh, in Washington for the Federalist Society Symposium. I was also here from, for some Senate orientation meetings. Uh, I got a call from Ted Cruz saying, hey, I'm Ted Cruz. Uh, I'd like to meet you. I thought, this is great. Uh, this is a guy who has a lot of common friends. I need to finally meet him. So he came by. Uh, we, uh, we went um, down to my office that was then in the basement mm-hmm. of the um, Russell building. And um, he confided in me that he was thinking about running for the United States Senate from Texas in 2012. And I said, okay, in, in that case, uh, uh, we need to talk. So we, we went on a walk around the Capitol grounds, mm-hmm. talking about every conceivable legal, political, and constitutional issue for the next two hours. And uh, at the end of it, I said, look, it's highly unlikely that I will ever in this lifetime meet somebody who is this close to being my ideological twin. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If you run for any federal office, I will endorse you. That's, you know, actually you bring up this point that I was, I was thinking about with both of you. You both came to real national prominence in the days, those wonderful old days of the Tea Party movement, when there was so much energy behind the conservative cause and specifically a pro-liberty, pro-constitutional cause. Where does that stand now? Because, I, you know, as you talk about discussing all these court cases and all these sorts of things, I don't think every one of our politicians necessarily does that. So where are we? Where, where, where does the cause of liberty stand today? Well, let me say this. 
by ordinary measures, by historical measures, neither Mike nor I have any business being in the U.S. Senate. <laughs> um, it is bizarre that we're there uh, on a whole lot of fronts. For, for both Mike and me, the first office either one of us was ever elected to was U.S. Senate. That's pretty good. That's weird. Yeah. Mike, when he was elected, so Mike was elected to the Senate two years before I was. Yeah. Mike Lee was the first U.S. Supreme Court clerk in the history of the United States of America to be elected to the Senate. He actually was elected simultaneously with the other first clerk, which is Richard Blumenthal, who had clerked for Brennan on the Supreme Court. So the two of them together wow. became the very first clerks ever. Now, now that you now, think- We know clerking up Brennan clerk. We had the balance out of each other. Now, think about it for a second. That, that, that's weird, actually, that it took until 2010 for a Supreme Court clerk to get elected. That is, yeah. Part of the reason is most Supreme Court clerks are- geeky, academic. They're not the robust, strapping examples of manhood. A couple, a couple of Cary Grants over here, right? <laughs> Movie star quality. Though. That's right. <laughs> so look, Mike and I are both law nerds. We met at FedSoc. FedSoc yeah. is, is law nerd prom. This is the Federalist Society. It, yes, it, it, it is everyone together. And, and so we met. Mike had just been elected to the Senate. I was planning to announce my Senate campaign like a couple months later. And so I remember I went to his basement office. He was still in, like, when you're newly elected to the Senate, they stick you in this tiny little basement office for a few months. It's kind of hazing, basically. Right. But I remember walking with him. You were filing your form requesting what committees to be on. And so I walked with Mike while he, you know, why he's on Judiciary Committee, because he filed that form saying, I want to be on Judiciary Committee. And we talked about all sorts of, of legal issues. I remember the issue, though. At the time, there had been, I think it was a GAO report that had come out just recently that said the total value of all federal land was $14 trillion. Hmm. Now, at the time, the national debt was also $14 trillion. (laughs) Says something that that was $8 trillion ago. Right. The good old days. But those numbers, and that was coincidental, but that suggested to both of us a natural and really elegant solution. (laughs) Sell the damn land, pay off the debt. Uh, And by the way, keep the parks. That's fine. The parks are a very small percentage, but sell all the rest of it. Yeah. That connection, I think, was important. And you're right. It was the time of the Tea Party. We were focused on rein in spending, rein in debt, defend liberty, believe in civil liberties. By the way, that look, both Mike and I are passionate about the Bill of Rights and protecting civil liberties. But both Mike and I also ran underdog campaigns. And so one of the things I think would be helpful to, to actually, before even talking about how you got elected to the Senate, it, it's worth folks understanding where Mike comes from. Um, so Mike's dad was Rex Lee. He was the U.S. Solicitor General under Ronald Reagan. He's a legendary Supreme Court advocate, one of the finest Supreme Court advocates to have ever lived. Um, what was it like growing up in Rex Lee's house. What, what was the dinner table like? Uh, my dad was a fantastic person. Um, American Bar Association Journal uh, did a piece on him while he was Solicitor General and described him as Huck Finn in a morning suit because he was folksy, <laughs> he was relatable, he was quirky. Uh, you know, he didn't act like somebody who thought a lot of himself. At the same time, he focused uh, a lot on and loved the law and loved the Constitution. 
I think I was 30 before I realized that not every family discusses the presentment clause around the dinner table. Just, just most families. Just, but just some, most some families. do not. Just, right. just normal families. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, you know, we, we talked about these things. I, I remember when my dad first explained Roe versus Wade to me, and uh, I was about uh, nine or 10 years old, and I asked him the question, okay, so separate and apart from what gives them authority as, as federal judges to make this determination, why is this a federal issue? rather than a state issue. And uh, I, I thought my dad was going to tear up right then. <laughs> my boy, my boy. Yes, yes. Got one child who listens out of seven. Uh, so. Wow, that's, I mean, that's a, a tremendous formation. And then you go and you you clerk at the Supreme Court. Well, well, and, and you do need to, before the clerking, I, I want to take an even greater digression and understand that that as honorable as the lineage is, that there, there also is, is some murky... So, so in your ancestry is the story of murder. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I, I could write volumes on this one. My great-great-grandfather was a guy named John D. Lee. Okay. Uh, John D. Lee was a Mormon pioneer, one of the uh, early settlers of Utah. Um, he uh, uh, was executed on federal murder charges. Uh, <laughs> really? Uh, for you a thought crime, I was kidding. Wow. A crime he didn't commit. Uh, he, he was acting under military orders, and he didn't actually kill anyone. He was blamed for uh, the sins of a couple of other people, uh, Isaac Haight and Philip Klingensmith. But, yeah, of course, Senator Lee attention. defending his family here. Okay. Yeah. All right. uh, and, and then his grandson, my grandfather, um, uh, was, was himself uh, the victim of murder. He was murdered just a couple months before my dad was born. And um, his, uh, his murderer was, was tried for murder for reasons we've never been able to understand uh, after the trial went on for several weeks. Just before the case went to the jury, the prosecutor got weak need. Mm-hmm. Prosecutor decided to allow the defendant to plead out to a lesser included crime of, of manslaughter. Okay. Then the judge let him out on, um, uh, on time served in pretrial custody. Uh, but uh, my dad was 18 before he had any idea his father was murdered. His mother wow. remarried. And um, my dad grew up just being told that his father died in a hunting accident. Wow, that you know, on the point, not the not the victim of the murder, but on the murderer question, I I will admit on this show, since we're just among friends, I too have a, a, a murderer in my family line. I just found this out. One of my ancestors who was on the Mayflower, John Billington, was the first man in the New World to be executed for being a murderer. So, really, wow. I too descend from a certain degenerate uh, hundreds of it? years ago. Oh, he did it. This guy yeah. was notorious. He totally did it. Well, but in Texas, Ted tells me that it's a defense to murder if the def- if the victim needed killing. Right? That's, that's, that, that that's is true. absolutely true. So I'm not aware of any murderers in my ancestry. Good. But but I may have you beat on one thing, which is I have had boots made by a murderer. Hmm. So when I was Texas SG, that they, they in Huntsville in the prison. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the state officials would get boots made. Yeah. Uh, by a guy who was in Huntsville, and his name was Darby, and, and he was there for double homicide. Yeah. And he was a leathersmith. He was very, very, very skilled. And so I went to get fitted, and, and you know, it was measured to your foot, so you stand, and it's kind of, Darby was, I don't know, it's probably early 60s, skinny little guy, but who had committed two murders. And yeah. it's interesting when you have a double murderer who tells you, okay, stand still, you actually just stand still. You're like, all right, I'm not going to screw with you. you. You can measure. So I had the boots being made, designed, had the seal of Texas on it. I was re- really psyched. 
And then like a month or two later, I got a call from the prison and, and the warden said, uh, well, Ted, I, I got some bad news. Hmm. You're not going to get your boots. They said, yeah, we're not letting Darby handle sharp instruments anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's common sense. That really should. So I don't know what happened, but Darby got out of the boot making business and I never got the boots that, that I had planned to buy from the prison. I never got them. Uh, you know, I, I would, they couldn't have made that discovery before your fitting. I, uh, he must have liked you, though. He had the opportunity. <laughs> I, you were vulnerable. And I guess. That's yeah, true. I, you, I'm, you made I'm it out. I'm glad not to have been shanked uh, <laughs> on my trip to the prison. You know, I would like to take this question from the uh, literal killing to a more metaphorical killing for a moment because I'm not a lawyer. I am no expert on the Constitution. I don't know anything about these things. Both of you gentlemen do. And so I, I want to know, you talk about discussing Roe versus Wade around the table. It seems to me we have gone a very far way from the original understanding of our constitutional republic to where we are now. Since you guys know the case history here, what do you trace that back to? What are the moments that really just launched the country in a new direction? Senator Lee? There's one day that for me stands in infamy in American history. Now, look, there are a lot of infamous days in American history, but there's one that I think relative to its importance doesn't get the coverage it deserves. Yeah. April 12th, 1937. Two days, two years uh, to the day after the Supreme Court had moved into its gigantic marble palace yeah. that it's occupied since 1935. The Supreme Court decided a case called NLRB versus Jones and Laughlin Steel Company. It effectively, through a vote of five Black robe-wearing lawyers amended the Constitution without going through the Article 5 process of actually amending it and changed uh, the Commerce Clause, Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3, from the, the, the provision giving Congress to regulate actual interstate commerce, channels, instrumentalities of interstate commerce, and things and persons moving in interstate commerce to the substantially affecting interstate commerce or the things that might in the aggregate have an economic impact that might in turn be interstate in its effect. That was a dramatic transformation uh, away from the structural <laughs> protections of federalism and separation of powers. It eroded federalism by giving more power to Washington, D.C. It culminated over the next few years, inevitably, in Congress all of a sudden saying, oh my gosh, we've now got all this power of, over all these regulatory issues like labor, manufacturing, and agriculture, and mining that, while economic in nature, take place in one state at one time. All of a sudden, they couldn't handle it, so they delegated it, all of it out to unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats thus eroding separation of power. Senator Lee, I hope you forgive me for laughing during that answer, because I, this is why I'm glad that I asked you the question. If you had asked me to pinpoint that, I don't think I would have been able to pinpoint that moment. And yet, what you're describing is a major change in how power moves in the country. Senator now, I Cruz. will say what you just saw illustrates two things. Number one, why both Mike's staff and my staff get scared when we get together and start geeking out on law <laughs> because we both get really, really happy. Right. Um, but secondly, look, I wouldn't point to any, any one decision. There have been a lot of decisions that were problematic. Yeah. What I would point to is the rise of the activist court, which, which mm. really got bad starting in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. Uh, you know, the framers referred to the, the courts as, as the least dangerous branch. Right. Uh, because they, they, they couldn't make the law. They couldn't enforce the law. All they were charged to do which was interpret it and apply it in cases and controversies before them. Uh, starting really in the, in the 60s and 70s, the left decided, you know what, it's too hard to actually go through the democratic processes. It's, it, it's too hard to actually convince our fellow citizens 
of our policy ideas. All we got to do is get five justices to decree what we like, and suddenly the law can be changed. And, and I have to admit, in the process of this, many of the worst judicial activists on the court were put there by Republicans. It's one huh. of the great... Huh. Irony. <laughs> yeah. Most. The, Most. It, it, it's, if you look at Earl Warren and Bill Brennan, mm-hmm. they were both put there by Dwight D. Eisenhower. Earl Warren led the Warren court. Remember, under Nixon, there was impeach Earl Warren bumper right. stickers. Right. Uh, William Brennan led the left on the court for three decades. Yeah. Now, let's start with those. But but look, now not only Warren and Brennan, you've got uh, Nixon uh, appointed Harry Blackman. Mm-hmm. The author of Roe versus Wade was a Republican appointee. John Paul Stevens, Gerald Ford put John Paul Stevens on board. The, the, the leader of the left for decades, David Souter, Sandra Day O'Connor, yeah. all of these were, were Republican nominees. If you look at it, Democrats bat almost a thousand, to use a baseball analogy. Virtually every one of their nominees does exactly what Democratic politicians would want them to do in any close contested case. Republicans at best bat 500. And it's because too many of our elected officials don't really give a damn. Mm -hmm. And it's because we don't demand a proven, demonstrated record. Yeah. So listen, I, I have publicly advocated for both of the vacancies that occurred under Donald Trump. I urge the president emphatically both times to appoint Mike Lee. That would be great. If He's I, mostly trying to get rid of me. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> get him out of the Senate. Yeah. Send him to that marble palace. Listen, if I had won in 2016, Mike would be on the court right now. Yeah. Um, Mike is on President Trump's list of 21. In fact, interestingly enough, the Lee family together represents nearly 10% of the list <laughs> because his brother Tom is on the list. Wow. One was on, Tom was on the first 11 and Mike was on the second 10. So they disagree on which of the two lists is better. But I made the case to Trump, to Pence over and over again for both vacancies. If you want someone Hmm. who we know that we know that we know will follow the Constitution no matter what. And you know how you know that? Yeah. It's when they've been kicked in the teeth and they keep on going. You know what I want in Supreme Court justices? Someone who hates D.C. cocktail party. (laughs) The worst dynamic right. on Supreme Court justices is they want to be loved. Mm-hmm. They want to be accepted. They, they read be the newspapers. celebrated by the newspaper, by the academy. The way you do it is you move left, 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 left. When I'm looking for a judicial nominee, give me someone who's been through the battles, yeah. has been vilified, and hasn't blinked and has been faithful to the law and constitution. That is desperately needed. Gentlemen, we have about one minute left, but I, I do want to get your thoughts on at one legal issue and political issue that is coming up right now, and it is so egregious to me. I, I, need, I need to know what you think. This is from Evan. Uh, this is about Uber Eats. Uber Eats has now declared in this moment of the protests and Black Lives Matter that they're, they're going to waive delivery fees for black-owned businesses, however that is determined, and they're going to con- they continue to keep delivery fees for white-owned businesses, however that is determined. Seems to me, look, I'm uh, not, not terribly educated on the law. This can't possibly be right. I, I think it's plainly illegal. Okay. Uh, I think they will be sued and they will lose every one of the lawsuits. You, you cannot discriminate under federal civil rights law, explicitly discriminate based on race, and charge one set of prices to one race and another set of prices to another race. Right. That is against the law. And, and it's a good example of how these guys, look, they want a virtue signal. They want a virtue signal. Okay, fine. This is going to be a very expensive virtue signal. 
be, because mm-hmm. there are going to be some class action lawyers ready to sue them, and they got no defense. They are openly, willfully, defiantly ignoring federal civil rights law. Senator Lee? Uh, one question that I would ask uh, to any company that was considering a policy like this is, well, why would you want to do this? When we've spent decades <laughs> right. as a country overcoming right. um, uh, situations where people make business decisions like this that are I- inexplicable. Or you can... You can draw lines uh, 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 in many areas if you want to. You can offer a discount to seniors if you want to. You can offer a a discount to members of your Elks Lodge, I suppose, if you want to. But federal civil rights law uh, draws a pretty bright line around race. If you were to switch the races out and say, I'm I'm going to offer this price to this race and that price to another, uh, that would be problematic. I, I agree with Ted. I can't imagine this could possibly uh, be upheld as lawful, even if it were, especially if it were. Do you really want that out? Right. This is the. Do you political. want to live in a country where that happens, right. where that's lawful? I don't think so. There's the legal question. There's the political question. We have just seconds left. But now that we've covered the law, we've covered politics, we've covered the Constitution. I need to get to a philosophical question that was asked urgently by one of our viewers. This is from Ryan. Is a hot dog a sandwich, Senator Cruz? I know this is a big internet and Twitter thing, but I have to admit, I just don't give a damn. <laughs> I, I, I really, I, I, I would like to care about this. I love hot dogs. I, when I was in high school, the, my like first date that I would take girls on was to yeah. James Coney Island right. and get like chili cheese dogs because I, I can't stand people who are pretentious and it's impossible to be pretentious when you've got like cheese dribbling down your shirt. That is a fact. So, so. Hot dogs are awesome. It's what I have at baseball games. It's what I have at movie theaters. But whether it's not it, or not, it's a sandwich. I just don't care. This was an evasive political answer. Yeah, Senator, yeah, if you don't mind my saying so, no, Senator t- t- That was a weak sauce answer. I, I've <laughs> got to answer this one. It's not, a, it's not a sandwich. It's not that it doesn't deserve to be in the category of sandwich. It's not that it's inferior. It's its own genre. It's its mm. own, uh, it's, okay. its own species. Uh, so to call it a sandwich doesn't uh, give it the dignity that it deserves. It's its own category. So it's sort of like debating whether or not a corn dog would be a sandwich. Well, it's surrounded by bread. They're not really a sandwich. It's a different genre. I can tell that this debate could continue for many, many hours. But unfortunately, we're out of time. Senator Lee, thank you so much for being here. Of course, Senator Cruz, I'll see you very soon. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hollywood is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. 
Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. For a limited time, watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. Ben Ferguson here, and if you're an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be a part of your investment portfolio. And I want you to visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investments to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit Labrador Energy. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more now at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. So a couple years ago, I hit 40 years old, and man, did things change. I didn't have the same strength and vitality that I had before, and I didn't have what I wanted, and that was the ability to work out and have a blast doing it. So then the pounds started packing on. Well, thank goodness I found Chalk, C-H-O-Q, and they're helping real American men just like you maximize your masculinity by boosting your testosterone levels up to 20% over 90 days. Now, I've been taking the Chalk Vitality Stack for over a year now, and not only am I working out, I've now lost 50 pounds. So so if you're ready to maximize your masculinity today, go to chalk, chok.com and use promo code Ben for a massive discount on any chalk subscription for life. chok.com, code Ben, limited time offer. Subscription is cancelable at any time. Chalk.com. 